0: Good evening and welcome everyone to our second and what we perceive to be a magnificent series on Tuesday night rheumatology. We are going to be discussing with my colleagues very shortly contracts, contracts, contracts. This should be an exciting discussion and we look forward to all of your queries. This is our second in a series of women in rheumatology, the XX factor, and we are so pleased to have you join us. We also would like to acknowledge our sponsors, BMS and the BMS Network of Women. Thank you for your sponsorship. I have with me this evening, a magnificent crew. We have, believe it or not, a real live attorney to help us with our contract negotiations. I have with you here, Dr. Katherine Dow from UT Dallas and I have attorney Andrea Liberatore from Porner Sprue in Raleigh, North Carolina. Ladies, I would like for you to take one minute or less to give a little background, Dr. Dow, you first. Thanks Gwen, I am so excited
1: to be here. Because right now, a lot of our fellows are about to graduate, they're about to enter into employment, and they keep coming to me. And I really don't have that much experience. So, Andrea, I am so glad that you're here. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
2: Yeah, so um, good evening, everyone. Uh, My name is Andrea, and I am with Pointer Sproul. Um, We do have an office in Raleigh. I'm actually in the Charlotte office. I'm not sure. Um, Yeah, I I know Gwen normally works with other folks at (laughs) Raleigh. In our Raleigh office, um, so I am. I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a licensed attorney in North Carolina. I practice general litigation, and I have had the opportunity to work with um, some physicians, uh, much like yourselves, and help them in um, to litigate some some difficult contract issues. So, um, you know, I I really love working with physicians, and I'm really excited to be here. And I, I hope that I can um, help you guys at least. A, In a small way um, because I know that contracts can be very stressful and they're also very important.
0: We will be looking at um, the survey questions that we have just done and if Shannon, if you could just share with us, we can share with our audience what we actually had to say. So do you hire an attorney to assist you with contracts? And it looks as though two-thirds of our respondents actually look for an attorney to help with contracting, which I believe is uh, extremely important. Are you a signatory in contracts? And the majority of people say that they are, and we have a small percentage that actually has someone else sign for them. This is extremely important to all of us because as Catherine has already pointed out, a large number of young people are in need of contract negotiations and it is imperative that you not do this alone. We can stop sharing the slide. We'd
1: love to- I'm kind of shocked, you know, when that like a third of people don't actually ask for a lawyer. I remember when I first graduated, like I was very intimidated. I mean, I was given this packet and they say sign here, you'll start in August. And
0: you know I don't know where to start. So what is your thoughts on this? So I was not about to, to sign anything that had language that I could hardly interpret myself. So I've definitely wanted to have an attorney take a look at it and was given that advice with the very first employee contract that I ever received. And interestingly, the first one that I ever received was the one I got out of the army. So what we'd like to ask our attorney is, why would you in fact hire an attorney to review a contract?
2: Sure, so I think that, you know, I understand that sometimes people are hesitant to hire an attorney because of the cost. Um, I will say that for the most part, most attorneys will at least allow you to have some sort of preliminary conversation with them before they start charging you. So that that might be helpful to know. Um, but for the for the reasons why you would want to hire an attorney to look over your contract is because um Often, contracts contain a lot of very specific and uh, legal language, which we attorneys call legalese. Um, and they're, and it's really designed so that you don't understand it, unfortunately. Um, and as attorneys, we are trained to recognize that language and interpret it. And so we are able to give you a better understanding of what you're signing. Um, so that you can understand your obligations under the contract and also your employer's obligations under the contract. And another important reason why you might wanna hire an attorney is because contracts are negotiable. All all contracts are negotiable, um, including your employment contract. And sometimes it's a little intimidating to start those negotiation conversations with your employer if it's just you. Um, Sometimes when you bring an attorney in things can um, suddenly get a lot easier and then they can suddenly be a lot more amenable to negotiating the contract. Um, And then I think the the last and, you know, arguably most important reason is um, if you get an attorney to look over your contract, explain your contract and negotiate the contract, you're probably less likely to have issues down the road. So um, in the times that I, have been brought in to help a client with their contract, it's because they did not have an attorney look at it in, you know, in in the beginning stages and they signed something that they didn't fully understand or that they weren't fully happy with. And then later on down the road, it resulted in some sort of breach either from their part or from the employer's part. So I I do believe that working with an, with an attorney on the front end can um, mitigate those risks of there being a breach in the future, either by yourself or the employer, where you know there's going to have to be some sort of litigation, some sort of um, you know uh, there might be a dispute, and and of course um, sometimes even when you work with an attorney, things go sour. You know so, sometimes there's no way to avoid that, but I do think at least having an attorney review the contract, explain exactly what what you're signing, so that you understand your obligations and your employer's obligations can make it a lot less likely for there to be trouble down the road.
0: Great, thank you. Now, any of our virtual audience, please put your questions in to the queue so we can put them in Q&A so we can help answer any more questions that you may have. We are very, very interested in making absolutely certain that on that first initial contract that we are looking at what we need to look at. In your opinion, what are the three top things that, as a physician, we really need to be on the lookout for?
2: Yeah, so um, i'll just I'll just say generally, you need to be reading your entire contract this is just kind of an, an overall general advice make sure that you read the entire contract and when you're reading when you're reading the entire contract um take note of any uh documents um or schedules that are referenced in the contract because then those once they're referenced in the contract they actually become a part of the contract so if you're if you just get you know 10 Pages of paper, but there are a bunch of documents that are referenced within. You haven't read the entire contract if you're not also asking for those additional those additional documents to read. So, So could you give an example?
0: Would it be like making reference to a um, handbook or making reference to a schedule that the HR department or somebody may have?
2: Yes, like a like a a fee schedule or or a bonus schedule Um, and. You know, you I would definitely ask for a copy of that while you're reviewing the contract because whatever is on that schedule, if there's you know text below that schedule, if it's still a part of that document, that's still also a part of your contract. So you need to make sure you're reading all of that. Um and then I, I think another thing would be, you know, like I was saying earlier, to note to note that everything is negotiable. So um I would definitely, I think you're, you often get a lot of employers that say this is a standard contract, um, you know, this, just sign it. it, it we, we give the same one to everyone. And, you know, they, they might have that internal policy, but, you know, as a legal matter, all contracts are negotiable. It's it's not true that you can't, you know, not negotiate a, a contract. That might be their practice at the company that you're at, but it's, you know, it's not impossible for them to, um, change their contract. And I would definitely encourage you to, you know, identify what might be some things that, you know, before, before you even go into signing a contract, identify what are some things that you might want to get out of that contract or make sure that are in there. And so then you can have that eye when you, when you look through it.
1: So, so, what exactly do you think might be negotiable? I mean, I'm, I know that salary might be something. I think PTO might be something. But
2: what about other stuff? Is everything negotiable, or yes. just that? Um, I, I think that s- some other things that I've that I would that I you know clients have brought up that we've worked with clients on to negotiate our termination provisions. So often um, contracts will say you need to give a certain amount of notice before you leave um, the employer. So, you know, you can negotiate if it says you need to give nine months notice, you can negotiate that down to six months or three months. Um, Yep, salary, definitely time off, definitely benefits. um, But also the the non-compete clauses are something that could also be negotiated, um, you know, or something else called the non-solicitation clause, which is, it's like a non-compete, but it's basically just something that says that you can't take their patients or take their employees. Provisions like that can still be negotiated. Um, So for example, if you had a non-compete in there, clause in there that said, um, you know, you can't work at a competing practice within a 20 mile radius for three years. Um, after you, you know, leave your employment with us, you can come back and negotiate that to be to say, you know, that I think that's unreasonable. Talk to my attorney, you know, the attorney can say, you know, that's unreasonable. That's not, that's not standard for this area. It needs to be one year, it needs to be a year. It but what be... if
1: they've already signed the contract? I mean, is there there's this one of the questions from the audience, is like, how do you get rid of a non-complete clause if you've already signed it, or if you realize you signed something and then you just don't want it anymore? What should, what, what would somebody do? I mean, this has happened to me before too.
2: Sure. So um, sometimes contracts will provide provisions on how they are renegotiated or changed. So you should always know that and you should probably, you should definitely talk to an attorney if you find yourself in a situation where you've already signed a contract and you either think that you can't follow through or you don't want to, you want to negotiate it or, or change it, you should talk to an attorney because that contract might specify how that, you know, what is the renegotiation process look like. Um, but I would say, you know, generally. Generally, there should be an opportunity for renegotiation, especially if it's a term contract. So, if it, you know, if there's a renewal period after two years, um, when that renewal period comes up, that would probably be a good time to sit down and try to renegotiate with your employer. Uh, but I will say, anytime you're rene- renegotiating and you're changing the contract, those changes need to be put in writing and they need to be signed by both parties. So, just you know, it it doesn't count if it's just added on, and that change hasn't been acknowledged and signed by both parties. Um, so, you know, that's another reason to. That to, you know, that is an amazing gonna, point, though.
0: Yeah, we we're going to share some um, input from from the non compete question that we put out to our audience. We're just going to share it. So this is where we saw a very interesting phenomenon. And that is, have you ever been subject to a non-complete clause in your employment? And it was very apparent that it seems to be more in the academic setting um, and not as prevalent in the private practice, but it's present nonetheless. But it was, this is very interesting. Uh, Would you like to uh, share any inputs about that? Dr. Dow, why do you think you see that? You're in an academic setting, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. Well,
1: um, <laughs> <laughs> anything that I say that has nothing to do with my employment, by the way, so that's my. <laughs> and this does not constitute a, a lawyer-client relationship, is what Andrea
0: told me. <laughs> no, it does not. No. So,
1: but basically, I think that it's because you know sometimes these academic centers are nonprofits, and it's hard to attract. Um, like, if you're a small nonprofit or something, it's hard to attract talent, and then if they you know, allow you to leave right away without any kind of consequences, they're going to keep losing people. And then sometimes it's because they invest a lot of time and training and effort as well as resources to a doctor. And so they just want to make sure that, you know, the return on investment is adequate. I mean, that's how I interpret it. I don't know, Andrea, what what have you seen when non-competes have been enforced?
2: Um, So, I, I think it's I think it's a couple different reasons. I think it's the concern about. Well, I have only had the experience within private practice, and in that area, it is pretty much always because of patients and just really the the competition because patients will follow their doctors. So they know that if the doctor is still in the area, those patients are going to go, you know, to that doctor and. So they, you, you usually see some often like large radius so that the doctor's forced to work further away so that there's less of a chance that those patients are going to follow the doctor. Um, but I'll just say generally about non-competes, uh, a, a, a couple things. One is that um they are not you know the, every state has a different different set of laws about non compete provisions so um there are a couple states california north dakota and oklahoma that do not enforce the courts will not enforce non compete provisions so um you know this is another another reason to you know talk to your attorney and see um what law governs your contract to see if the non-compete is enforceable in your state. Um, And then also something that's pretty interesting is that the FTC just proposed a rule in January that would effectively ban non-competes. That is still in the um, notice and comment period, which means it is not it is not effective right now. Um, and, and actually the notice and comment period has been extended to the end of April. So, um, but, but that's, that's really interesting. And that's something to, to, you know, look out for. That's something that if you hire an attorney, they, they will know, they will stay updated on that. Um, but, but potentially non-competes could, um, could, could maybe not be a thing in, uh, in a couple months. And that, you know, it, it's interesting because when I was reading about it, one of the things that the FTC said is that they they are hopeful that if this, you know, becomes a rule, that it will actually save people billions of dollars annually on healthcare specifically. Just because these non-competes, they believe, are driving up prices for, um, you know, it, it's lowering the amount of money that a that a physician could potentially be paid, and it's also increasing the amount of money that consumers are having to pay for healthcare. Um, just because of the supply and demand. So I thought that was interesting.
0: So I, I find it fascinating. I had um, our guru, Dr. Kush, shared an article from Kevin MD with regards to uh, non-competes. And I thought it was fascinating that there, uh, there are physicians who are in a private sector who may be opposed to eliminating the non-compete and there are health systems that would love to make sure that there's a non-compete. And then there's physicians who've been caught in situations that uh, Dr. Dow is alluding to, that they're in uh, uh, untenable situations, they're in a work environment that's quite toxic, they can't seem to get out, and they would benefit from a ban on, on non-compete. So it's, it's fascinating that even with physicians, there are physician groups that, uh, that find that the banning all of them may not be to their own personal benefit. I know in, in Cumberland County, where I reside in North Carolina, the majority of the judges here will not honor a non-compete. The reality, though, is most physicians are too frightened to challenge it. And so they'll go along with whatever has been told to them. I have an example of two ENT doctors who I thought were partners. And uh, the one wanted to go off and start a plastic surgery ENT practice. And the other guy didn't want him to do that. And so he, uh, the, these alleged partners, in, he enforced a non-compete. And so the uh, Dr. X went off for a year elsewhere and then came back. Um, he did not wanna challenge the Cumberland County judges, but many of the judges here would have allowed him to go ahead and set up his, his practice elsewhere. So it's, it's, and it's very interesting with a specialty like rheumatology where we are so short staffed that, hey, wherever you set your stake, just see the patients and it'll be very curious to see how this all pans out. Um, I do know that um, that what what's what's really fascinating is that it's going to take time for all of this to transpire. And even if they eliminate it, there'll be suits and countersuits. You know how you attorneys do. <laughs> got to right. make your got to make your money. Got to make your money. And so right. even if, even if it even if this went through in your opinion in the, in the, by the end of 2023 how long do you think we would actually see it completely go away what do you think
2: I'm I'm to be 100% honest I'm I'm not I'm not sure um, I, I do agree with you though I don't think that it would be immediate and um, one thing that I I do actually want to say on this point too is while this is something that's in the works and maybe you know, in a couple of years or, you know, in a year to a couple of years, it's, it's something that completely changes the way that your contract looks like. I would say for like practically for now and moving forward, you know, you want the contract, you, you don't want the mindset to be, am I going to be able to get out of this? The mindset should be, is this, am I okay with this contract, how it looks right now before I sign it? Because, the truth is, is is exactly what you know. What you were saying, Gwen, is that you, first of all, sometimes you don't want to have to pay money to litigate an issue just to to get out of the contract, and also the other thing is is that if you're if it's if it's exposing you to potential legal liability. So let's say that you sign a non you sign a contract that has a non compete, and you're like, oh, psh, that's not enforceable. If if there's even a question about it and you get sued, like I, I, I have had clients that their lives are pretty much ruined the moment that they get sued. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's not, you know, that's what, that's the the horrible part is even exposing yourself to something because, you know, I have, I have a client that she was sued for breach of contract. Um, we won, she got money in the end, but she, I mean, So many horrible things happened in the year and a half that it took to Mm -hmm. get that resolution. And I mean, if she could go back in time and just have negotiated that contract to be something that she understood and she was okay with, and she was able to make a clean, would have been able to make a clean break when she could have without having to deal with all of that, you know, that would have been way more beneficial to her.
1: Yeah, and I have a couple of stories too, where I know a couple of women rheumatologists Um, Because of a horrid contract or contracts that they sign, they actually quit their job and just stayed home for two or three years and didn't even practice rheumatology. And, you know, we have such a huge workforce shortage. It'd be a shame that, you know, the only reason why we don't have enough rheumatologists might be just because of the contracts. And contracts are one of those things that they really don't go through in medical school so if you were to look at somebody's contracts what are the biggest pitfalls that doctors make i mean what what are the top three things that you should tell doctors don't do it i mean i know that look at the contract hire a lawyer but is there anything specific in the contract you think that we have to pay attention to
2: um yes i would definitely pay attention to the you know the termination provision or the provision that discusses you know, so there's there's going to be provisions. There there might be more than one. There's going to be provisions in the contract that discuss how you leave the practice or you know what whatever employer how you leave how you terminate what happens when you breach. I would definitely pay attention to those because that that's basically your roadmap for like if I want to leave or if things go wrong. Here's what the contract says. Um, and again, your attorney will look at that. But you know. That that's that's very important because um, so for example most people think that if your employer breaches the contract then then that's it you're out you know you can just leave and that's not entirely true a lot of contracts will have provisions that say um, even if the employer breaches you employee have to give them an opportunity to cure that breach so you have to you have to wait and you have to give them an opportunity to cure that breach and you have to give them notice that they've breached the contract. So we had a client that had that and we had to to basically argue that we had given notice and the requisite amount of time um, because this client ended up, you know, leaving the contract before the contract was over. And that was something that really tripped them up. They thought that because the employer had, you know, breached, they could just go. But in reality, they had to take an extra step of noticing that they believe that there was a breach and giving the employer an opportunity to cure. So that's just one example. So definitely the provisions that talk about what happens if someone breaches or or when I'm, you know, how do I leave? Because obviously there, a lot of contracts will say that they want you to give a certain amount of notice before you leave. Um, and I think the other provisions are, uh, you know, I mean, um, yeah, I could say salary and benefits, but I think everyone's looking at those, so, so the other ones that you might not t- think to look at, definitely the, the non-compete and non-solicitation agreements, and also um, a, a couple more clauses. One is the arbitration clause. that That is something that's in a lot of contracts that basically says that you agree to not take any dispute that arises out of a contract to court instead you agree to do something called arbitration which is an it's a outside of court proceeding where um, you and the and and your employer would basically have a like kind of like a third a neutral third party and you would settle it outside of court um, that you know, Sometimes that can be beneficial, but a lot of times that strips you of a lot of rights that you would normally have to bring claims in court or threaten to bring. You know, just to have the ability to bring that claim in court. So um, that's something to pay attention to. So should that clause be removed? I'm I'm sorry. sorry.
0: Should
1: the clause be removed? The arbitration clause.
2: Yeah. it It. Yes. It could. You could uh, negotiate to either have it, um, specific to certain issues to have it removed. Um, it's not, it's not something that you, you know, it is, it is pretty common. So it's not something that's like, Oh, don't sign it. If it has an arbitration clause, but I would just say, it's just something to understand. I think that's my, my biggest thing is that a lot of the things that, you know, we're talking about it, it, maybe, maybe realistically, you, you know, this is what the employer wants, you don't have enough leverage to get rid of these things. I think the most important thing is that you understand what you're signing. So you are signing, if you sign an arbitration, if your contract has an arbitration clause, you are agreeing to, you gotcha. know, to, to do that. And a lot of the times they'll even say arbitration governed by this law. So you might be in Florida, but according to your contract, if you have a dispute, you have to go to arbitration and it's governed by Delaware law something like that. So, you know, those just different things like that. And then um, on that same note, contracts will have a governing law clause. So they'll say this entire contract is governed by this kind of law. So even though, like, let's say you're in California and you're like, I'm in California, non-complete clauses are not enforceable in California. If you sign a contract that says this contract will be governed by the laws of North Carolina, non-competes yeah. are in North Carolina yeah. and you've just agreed to be bound by the laws of North Carolina. So, you know, those are are, you know, definitely definitely those provisions
0: uh, and and very good reasons to uh, actually hire an att- attorney because you won't see you will not be able to decipher that by yourself. One of the one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is what are some examples of some of the breaches? Um uh, some some folks are And this is something that I find with the negotiating is that sometimes they find out that they think that they're going to be working at clinic A in city limits and find out that they don't have the location clearly delineated on their contract. And it says you will work for the big clinic and they have an outreach clinic that for a mom, 30 minutes, 40 minutes away. So, are some? What are some of the? What are some of the breaches? And are some of the? What are some of the things that you need to be on the lookout for?
2: Yeah. So, in a scenario where the contract isn't clear, there's ambiguity like that. Um, it it really depends on the specific scenario to know if something like that would be con- would constitute a breach, but that's just all the more important, you know, all the more reason to clarify these terms in the contract and make sure that you understand, you know, what, um, That's I, that actually is a really good point, Gwen, because sometimes contracts will have definitions. I forgot to say this earlier. That's another thing you should look for um, and your attorney will look for too. Um, sometimes contracts will actually have definitions, a definition section where they'll say, you know, Pre- Clinic A means and it'll have a specific definition mm-hmm. of what you're talking about. So definitely make sure that you read those and that you understand um, you know how everything is defined in the contract. Um, as far as examples of breaches um, that you know that we have seen here at our firm that you know that things that get litigated, um, leaving leaving without giving proper notice, uh, violating a non-compete, um, violating a non-solicitation. So, um, the non-compete scenarios, like working for a competing, um, uh, hospital within the area or, um, for the non-solicitation, uh, recruiting. So basically helping other doctors cause they leave and they're like, this practice is terrible. Helping the other doctors leave, um, and their contract sets right. weren't allowed to do that. That's Yeah. Yeah. Or,
0: like- and or the patients so one of one of the things that I had uh, mentioned to you before was I called it creative negotiating and it basically is it, it and, and I'm just defining it when I did my when I did my employment in contract I was not believe it or not as interested in the salary as I was of where I was going to be having the clinic in my hours yeah. that was more important to me and i i I would i would like you to just share or if you have any scenario similar to that um catherine about how we need to make sure that we have these things explicitly uh, leveled out because it's not all about it may not necessarily be all about salary i'm fortunate that i was married to somebody that dialyzes for dollars so it was more important for my family that my schedule be steady and I be the I I hold down the domestic force Um, so tell us a little bit about what are some of the things you pointed out some wonderful things with regards to not compete and there's more to come on that but can you share a few little things about what we as women should be looking at in these in these uh, contracts to help make our work-life balance a little better
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I agree with you, Gwen. When I first started having my family and came out from fellowship, I mean, what was important to me was flexibility. Um, I wanted to know what call coverage I was responsible for. I wanted to know how many hospitals I had to cover. I wanted to know, you know, what are the non-clinical duties? Because I just don't want to sit there and do paperwork all day. And I don't think that a lot of people realize it's these, you know, small issues that can either break you and make you leave or they can actually make things a lot better i wasn't looking necessarily for a salary and you know jack was actually the first person to hire me and believe me i was on a fire i was on a salary of a fellow for many years jack (laughs) um but yeah i and the one thing that looking back on some of the things is that i mean he had a very simple contract for me but i wonder you know because i know there's there's questions coming in Um, where like somebody might be joining a small practice, they know this person really well, um, they trust them, they've been their, you know, friend for a long time. And so they're like, well, what about just a handshake or using an online document? I mean, what do you think about that, Andrea? Um,
2: I don't think, (laughs) I I don't, I I think the experience with the online legal documents, is is not not very good actually. I think we um, we gave a presentation on this at the last summer conference and and said was yeah. that um, online you know legal Zoom or, or Rocket Lawyer was equivalent to basically um, WebMD for doctors <laughs> right. Same kind of, um, accuracy. So I you know I hear that though where you're in a situation and it's somebody that, you know, and trust, and you think that, you know, I think even in a situation where it's something that, you know, and trust, I mean, that might be an opportunity where you guys can hire an attorney together, um, to Mm -hmm. just, or, or maybe it's, it's some, it's one person's attorney, but, you know, they're, they're looking at the entire contract. Um, I think there are ways to still, you know, get, an attorney involved and it, and it not it doesn't have to be a, you know, the attorney can be as involved and can, you know, as little involved as you want, you as the client have control over that. So if you just want somebody to quickly look over it and point out any major red flags, I mean, that can be something that the attorney can do as well. It doesn't have to be, you know, you, you know, sit down at the table and get kind of combative, which I can understand might be uncomfortable if it's somebody that you've known for a long time and you're just friends and you don't think that that would be necessary.
1: So well, contracts are designed for divorce, really. I mean, if you think about it, it's like what to happen <laughs> if you leave. But like when, how did you know who the right lawyer was when you were signing contracts from the Navy to private practice? Right. To, so,
0: so what I what I wound up doing is I, I went to an attorney. All right, So I left the I left the Army in San Antonio, Texas. I was going to a practice in North Carolina where I didn't know a single soul. So I didn't have any relatives in North Carolina. I didn't have anything in North Carolina other than a job potential. And so I utilized the attorney that we knew in San Antonio to look at the aspects of the contract, which were the, quote, standard contract so that they would ha- wouldn't have language uh, that would uh, throw me throw me off and so they looked at the contract because I didn't have an attorney in North Carolina to actually look at it and so it looked like an appropriate uh, employee contract and so that was how I was able to, to do it and then I got the attorneys in the practice because here was another contract and some this came up as one of the questions is partnership and and stakeholders um, i had an employee contract in a private practice and then i became eligible to become a partner so they all then i had to have uh, an attorney take a look at a partner contract so those are two different Types of uh, contracts? Would you say, Andrea?
2: Yes, definitely. Yeah. I think that that change would warrant. Usually, they make you sign a new contract at that point as well. Um, and I think that change would warrant, um, you know, hiring somebody to look at it again or that same attorney that you hired before. Um, also, uh, I I just wanted to say as well. Um, that if you are in a situation where you're just negotiating with somebody that you, that you know, and trust, and, and for whatever reason, you don't get an attorney involved. Um, and, and even when an attorney is involved, any negotiations that you have have to also be in writing. So when we were talking earlier about, um, we're talking earlier about changes to a contract, And you have to, you know, those have to be included into the contract. They have to be signed. The same thing for negotiations. Like if you have a bunch of negotiations about a contract, but then the document doesn't have it in there, then they're not in the contract. There's actually a rule in the law that says that all your communications about a contract usually don't come into evidence in court. It's just the contract that governs. So you have to make sure that um, whatever it is that you have talked about, that you, you know. Has given you, okay, yeah, that's what I want. It needs to actually be in that final contract document.
1: Yes. We're getting a ton of questions here. So I'm just going to throw out a few yes, and maybe please you can knock please. them out. So one of them is what's the difference between an offer letter and a contract? Yes. Okay.
0: Excellent.
2: Yeah. So, um, so an offer letter is an invitation to, um, Get a contract. Usually, normally. So, so like with the caveat that I I need to look at the offer, like again, everything that I'm saying, I would, you know, I would want to look at the offer letter um, to ensure. But normally, if somebody is just giving an offer letter saying like we are extending this invitation, that is not um that is not a contract in and of itself. Um now, if somebody extends you an offer letter and says, you know. These are the terms, um, and then you agree to sign something, and you know you agree to be bound by the terms of the offer letter. Um, you know, then the offer letter can become part of the contract if it's referenced in in a contract. Um, also sometimes people will not sign a contract. So I, I just know, I, I don't think this happens that often with physicians, but I just know in other areas, you might just get an offer letter and you might not sign a formal contract. So you might just accept the offer. Um, and you know, in that case, usually the offer letter is like, that's the salary that's governing, but you, you don't have a formal contract mm. that both parties have signed. Um, so so yeah, is it legally
1: binding? Do you, is, yeah, is letter of intents or offer letters are they, they legally
2: binding? Um you know, again, I would need to see the specific one for, but for the most part, no, it's not, it's it doesn't have the same effect as a con, you know, as, as a contract. Okay. And um, you know, there there are there there is some litigation about offers. Um that, that can occur if people rely on an offer heavily and they, you know, and and there are certain circumstances where maybe you can get some compensation if you relied heavily on an offer that seemed like it was gonna to come to fruition, but then, you know, maybe there was some foul play on the other side and it didn't come through. Um, there could be recourse in, in cer- certain situations, but for the most part, an offer alone without it in writing, signed by them and signed by you is not, you know, that that does not guarantee an employment under under these certain terms.
1: Because then the next question begs, like, well, at what point would you hire an attorney when you get the letter of intent or the offer letter, or do you hire
2: them later
1: when you get the actual contract?
2: Yeah, um, I think that it probably it would de- it definitely would depend on on the situation and what you know the comfort level of, of the of the person involved and um but i would say if you're going to hire an attorney to me i probably would it probably makes sense to get them involved as soon as possible so i think that you know if you've got the letter of intent you know that it's going towards a contract to me it would make sense to start looking for somebody at that point because you know they could help you um with your negotiation and starting to think about what what are those things that you're going to that you're going to bring to the table
0: renegotiating is something that um, has come up and the reality that we have is that uh, you've gotten through your contract you made it through that year you have done well, as far as you can tell, and now you on a renegotiate, how do we go about renegotiating? And how do you do that, particularly if you're looking to increase salary, if that's what your goal is? What are some tips on that?
2: Yeah, so just tips on negotiation in general. Um, You should, Before you start negotiating, you should probably sit down and think about what you want. So, you establish what are your goals. um, And you should kind of have these like, if everything works out great, what are my, what is like the best case scenario goals? And then you should kind of have like, I'm not leaving until I get this. And then you should kind of have like, okay, worst case scenario, this is what I'm okay with. So, I I would recommend kind of like three different layers of. um, of expectations and, and, what, and what you're looking for. Um, and then, then I would consider what leverage you have. So, um, for example, you know, that you are in a position that would be hard to fill. You have expertise that not a lot of people have. Um, you've been working there for a long time. You have a relationship with the patients that is, you know, that, that they can't, uh, get otherwise. Um, you know these are all leverage that you might have, and I would recommend. So you know, writing kind of down those three tiers of goals, and then also writing down what is the leverage that I have, and using those together, you can kind of plan out your um, the way that you're going to approach this. And and normally it would it would go with. Um, asking first for something probably starting I would recommend probably starting with your like best case scenario um, and and using and using leverage and then kind of um, because for the most part both parties will usually kind of start with like the best case scenario and they meet somewhere in the middle, in the middle.
0: okay. Um,
2: so that's one strategy some there, there's a couple of different ways to do it but I, I would say um, definitely thinking about what are the what are the things that you want and what leverage you have and when you establish that kind of like going away price so like what are things that I absolutely cannot leave here without you know hold yourself accountable to that because it doesn't really mean anything if you then you know don't if if you then let it get negotiated away um because okay so um Our brains, that this is just something that, you know, I feel like this is this is not even attorney. This is just life. And I I feel like I this is true for me, is that my brain is so much better when I'm not under pressure in the moment. Like I I have a much clearer head and brain. And so I think that's why I recommend doing it before you get into the negotiation, because then once you're in there, you're anxious, um, you wanna, you know, you might have like some tendency to please, to get to an agreement, and that might, you know, lead you to want to give up things that you know that you wouldn't if you were not stressed so that's why kind of thinking about that going away price and then sticking to it and having that intention when you go in so that when it gets stressful and uncomfortable you're still able to remember okay well this is what i really wanted and i'm not leaving until i get this um but okay. also being realistic because obviously you know if they're not going to give it to you and you still need a job you have to stay there um
1: so Gwen, is this? There's this, I'm sorry, Gwen, there's this one question that I think only you and I could answer right now. Um, What's that? So the question is that, you know, a lot of times we're pretty meek as women to ask for what we want.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> and maybe on, Andrea, you might like, you know, weigh so, in on this too. But, but, you know, how do you come across getting what you want without sounding like, you know, some way too aggressive and getting fired or like, you know, and, and not sounding too meek. What, how do you strike that balance?
2: Cause this person wants to know. Um, well, I, I mean, to be honest, I feel like I, I'm sure you guys get this a lot, but in the legal profession, so often I feel like I have gotten comments about being too aggressive or mm. Um, and and I think I I actually know that they would not give those comments to a man. <laughs> so, yeah. um, a woman in the legal profession definitely being somebody that is assertive is not afraid to express themselves. Sometimes challenges those, I guess, gender norms, and I you know get pushed back from it. But, um, you know, I would I would say that. Hmm, I, I definitely think you know in, in mediation, for example, it's very important to watch your tone. Um, and again, this will, this will really help if you do the planning on the front end for what you want. This is way the more, you know, way more likely not to have these outbursts when you're in there, but like emotional outbursts, not really that helpful. So like trying to maintain your composure, watching your tone, um, Pointing out, so if you made a concession in a negotiation, like you gave something, point that out. Like, okay, well, I I'm giving you this, so that's why I'm asking. So make sure that it's logic, like logic, level-headed, logical, um, you know, concessions or asks that have a why behind it. Um, So coming into a negotiate, a negotiation room and, and sobbing and saying like, I, I'm, you know, I don't have a work life balance. I need more. um, I'm, I'm dying. You know, I need this, you know, that that's very real. And I totally understand why somebody would be there. And I I'm not saying that that's, that's not right to do, but I don't know if that would be as effective as coming in, you know, level-headed and calm and saying, I've worked here for X amount of years. Um, I provide X, Y and Z to this company, Um, you know, comparable practices are offering X. And so for that reason, I'm asking for more time off and and this, you know, I think that that could be more, more effective.
0: What has been your experience, Gwen? I mean, like, how do you negotiate? So I have a personality that is a a tad flamboyant and therefore, (laughs) therefore. I will come across a little bit more assertive, not necessarily aggressive, but a little bit more assertive. And I have to use the same tactic that Andrea just pointed out. And I'd use that tactic in the army where I was held hostage for 10 years, <laughs> I'm, I'm teasing, but I had to I utilize that particular um, strategy that she said. I, dressed in my most feminine uniform. I wore my reddest lipstick and red glasses, just what you see right here. And I was very direct and calm with what what I was asking for, because I was negotiating not salary because the salary was already set, it was uh, duties and responsibilities and getting rid of an incompetent senior officer. Which was uh, dicey enough, but I did exactly what she said. I went in, and I pointed out to my senior officer, my chairman, that I didn't, I didn't want to have a complaint with regards to my uh, egregious duty differentials that occurred because I was a black woman, and I didn't say the word black. I just pointed to my pigment. I pointed to my skirt and said, or because I'm wearing a skirt, at which time my boss was extremely concerned because he did not wish to have an EEO complaint. And we sat down and we went stride for stride. What I was doing, which constituted work as a chief and what the chief was actually doing, which constituted work as a staff person. And that's how we laid it out. But it was, I was very calm and I was not histrionic, and we were able to work out what we needed, but I had to use the exact approach that um, Andrea pointed out. And I had already pre-programmed everything so that I went in as a a calm, believe it or not, quiet, and was able to negotiate it in in that fashion.
1: And I also think like, you know, you got to know what your value is. You got to know what your worth is so that you can bring that to the table. Um, exactly. and a lot of times, you know, sometimes we would depend on other people to recognize what we've done, but
0: they're busy too. Exactly. They're not going to see all the they're little not, details that you do. We have, we, have to, we, we have to advocate for ourselves in a way that's calm, not histrionic it doesn't look you don't know what chromosomes we have <laughs> we're, we're talking about XXs, but hey we could have an xy you don't know the way you present you know ne- you never know do you have any other uh, questions from our, our our audience
1: so um there's one question says is there any structure to compensation like guaranteed salary versus base per production like work RreV use or production alone would you recommend against I mean based on your experience um, would you want a guaranteed salary or do you think production is like a
2: better way to
1: negotiate
2: i I honestly think you guys are better <laughs> suited to answer okay. that question just because I um, that that's really dependent on on the individual um, I mean I, I would I would just say whatever you choose to, the thing that I've seen with salary is that um, there's often like different schedules that are incorporated into the contract. So just making sure you understand those and um, understanding, you know, just, um, yeah, just making making sure that you understand the provision, that you understand the bonus, the bonuses and under the contract everything that governs them, including other documents that might be incorporated and whether you're okay with it. Um, yeah.
1: Is it legal to ask for like the financials so that you can look at it and see how profitable that. So, so you would have no problems asking about the financials. Like what if they say no, would
2: that be a red flag? Okay. So, um, so the question is it legal to to ask for the financials. So so one thing I'll say is um, you know companies have something that they that they might you know consider proprietary private proprietary information it's just it's just very dependent on what is the company that you're working for what exactly are you, what information are you asking for um, if you're asking for proprietary information about how the company is making its money, or something that would constitute a trade secret or confidential, the company might not be able to disclose that. Um, if you're asking for how the company pays its physicians and how profitable the company is, you know, maybe the company—I I don't think there—I I don't see anything wrong with asking that. The, the Company might decide not to give it to you, but you know, for example, if you ever buy, if you ever become like a, a partner that's buying in to a practice, I mean, you have to get all that information. Um yeah. so, you know, I I don't see an issue with asking. I, I do see an issue with asking for proprietary trade secret information, but I wouldn't say that, and that would be like how how that's usually like how a company does stuff and and things that they wouldn't want their competitors to know. But you know, what am I paying the other doctors? how is that, you know how, how is that salary happening? What's the overhead that we pay and, and what is the amount allotted for salaries for physicians? I mean, they might not give it to you, but there is, you know, nothing wrong with asking for that. And they they should t- they should definitely tell you how they're doing their salaries and and I think if you ask, they should give you, prob- you know comparable, a range of what you know the other physicians are making as well.
0: Yeah, and that's what we're having uh, some difficulty with is the transparency in big, large health systems of what compensations the physicians are getting because information has gotten out where female physicians in similar positions are getting far less. And is that because they didn't negotiate it or is that just what was offered to them? And so I I think it's very important that as women, we understand how the compensation is going to be calculated and that we should be able to ask how our salary is going to be, how are we gonna get the salary? How are we gonna get the guaranteed salary? I can tell you from a guaranteed salary, um, generally your first year or two, you are, the system is paying you more than you probably actually are making, particularly in the first year. And in the second year, they'll come back and point out to you that you actually haven't seen enough patients to earn that salary. And that's when the salary drop will will occur. And it behooves you to go ahead and find out um, how much you actually are getting or how it's gonna be calculated. Well, Are there any other questions in the queue, Catherine? Um,
1: There's not uh, any other questions, but I do have one quick question. Like, so let's say you leave an employment and you join another practice. Um, I've seen this and experienced this myself because like you're supposed to give notification to your patients where you're going, but sometimes the employers won't do that. I mean, is that legal grounds for a lawsuit or should you just leave it alone?
2: um yeah I I would need to I'm afraid that I I don't know if I can (laughs) answer that question without knowing where you know I think it would depend on um on on the the specific situation I um yeah I'm sorry I'm I'm not really I'm not really like super familiar with that specifically um but I would say that if you you know first, first of all, you should, you should definitely follow through with obligations that you know that you have under your medical profession, that under the ethics, and and you shouldn't, you should always do that. And if you're ever in a situation where you think that your contract or your employment situation is asking you to compromise that, then you should definitely talk to an attorney. Um, You shouldn't ever go against what your ethical, you know, obligations are under your profession, just because that's what you're, contract says, if if you find yourself in that situation, talk to an attorney before you do anything, but definitely talk to an attorney because, um, we, I mean, that was, we've had cases where that was how we got client out of the contract because they, they breached the ethical, um, obligations. Um, and, and they were asking her to breach her ethical obligations. And, um, so yeah, under that argument, we were able to get her out of the contract, so. Great. Well, listen, ladies,
0: this has been an absolutely exquisite hour of information. I hope that we've been able to answer a number of questions of our audience with regards to contracting and negotiating. Please remember that our attorney practices in North Carolina, but she's happy to share her information in the chat and get you lined up with the appropriate attorney in your own state. We are so pleased to have completed our second in a series of the XX Factor Women in Rheumatology negotiating contracts with Dr. Catherine Dow and Attorney Liberatory. Next week, join us for private practice versus academia, where we will have another stellar panel of women. And we also would love to thank our sponsors again, BMS. Looking forward to seeing all of you next week. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you so much.